0: Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Grandville, Michigan. Hey, hey, hey! So good to see you guys. It is such an incredible privilege. You guys can sit down. It's such an incredible privilege to be with you guys. As Scott said... I'm the lead pastor of Life Mission Church. We were Life Church until just a few months ago. Our church is 13, months old, 13 years old, and the last few months we've been going through a name change, uh, and I'll get into that a little bit more in my message. But um, let me just say right out of the gate, I love this church. Since you guys appreciate this church and your pastor, Pastor Dwayne, uh, and, and just your staff. I've been a part of the Resurrection Life Church family. Uh, for over 15 years now. As a matter of fact, I was a youth pastor uh, within the Res Life Network before we went to my hometown and planted the church. So we're a church plant of RLCI. And so I'm incredibly grateful uh, for the investment that this church and your pastors have made in our lives over the years. Uh, I bring uh, greetings from my family. Uh, My beautiful bride, Mary and I, this year, celebrated 27 years of good marriage. Amen. Amen. Uh, that's pretty good news, isn't it? You guys are surprised. You thought maybe I was a little younger than that, right? Come on, come on. Tell me that, right? Matter of fact, we had a great anniversary. We had our 27th anniversary in March, but then this summer, guys, listen up. We had our 10,000th day anniversary. So if you're not counting, I encourage you go back and count. Surprise your bride. And I, I surprised my bride. I said, you know, today's our 10,000th um, um, you know, day anniversary. And she was shocked and she kissed me. It was an awesome day. Anyway... I, uh, we have six kids. My oldest is 22. She's actually a youth pastor, works with youth ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs. I have a 20-year-old that's getting ready to go on the mission field here in a few months. She's done all kinds of different things like that. 14-year-old, 10-year-old, they're in the middle, uh, son and a daughter. And then we adopted two from Ethiopia. Uh, And so we don't know if they're making us old or keeping us young, but we've got them from 22 down to five. And it's just an incredible privilege to have them. I'm excited to be with you guys today. I want to pray and just jump right into this. Father, we thank you today that you're here. And Lord, I thank you that as we gather together on a Wednesday evening, Father God, that you have a word for each one of us. So I invite your Holy Spirit to speak today. Father, I thank you that you know what each one of us needs to hear. Father, I thank you that your word is alive, that it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, I thank you today that while we look into your word, you want to speak to every one of us. So God, I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive all that you want in Jesus' name. And everybody said, "Amen." amen. I uh, I want to just say right out of the gate, this message is for you. Everybody say, "This is for me." Now turn to some, listen. In my church, I tell them all the time, "Church is not a spectator sport; it's participatory." I "I need you to help me." Okay, say, "This is for me." Okay, you guys awake tonight? Now turn to the person next to you and say, "This is for you too." Okay, it is. This word is for you. As a Matter of fact, here's what I want to just right out of the gate give you guys. Uh, right out of the gate, I want to just say this God has a mission for you, for every one of us. That God's mission for his people is not just for the chosen few, it's not just for the clergy, the missionary, the pastor, evangelist. It's for every one of us. As a matter of fact, I believe that so many believers, Jesus followers, are bored are frustrated, are unfulfilled because we have failed to embrace the reality that God has a mission for every one of us, that God has a plan for us. Some of you guys believe God has a plan for your life. It's true. He has a mission for every one of us. And so I want to look at that today. Matter of fact, I was praying and I believe that God gave me a word for use. Matter of fact, I believe that this is for everyone in this room today. And my message is called, our mission is go. That's pretty simple. Everybody said Go. Now here's what happened. I was doing a study of the word go in scripture and I I was blown away. I don't know if you know this or not, but in my Bible, uh, the word go shows up 1,638 times. Can you believe that? That's a lot of times, isn't it? And what I found, though, as I was looking at the word go, was I was blown away at all the uh, uh, times in Scripture when the g- word go showed up. And, you know, we use the word go all the time. The word go is a verb. It means action. And I like it. How do you guys love the word go? Just say go again. Just come on. Go. Say, come on, Pastor, go. Come on, let's do this, right? Uh, we use the word go all the time. Uh, we say things like have a go, here we go, on the go, I'll have it. To go. All systems from the word. Anybody have a GoPro? No. We, we use the word go all the time in our everyday life. But here's my question. Do we, do we uh, use the word go in our everyday faith? Do we live a lifestyle? Of go As I said, I found the word go in my Bible uh, 1,638 times, and some of the most significant events in Scripture involve the word go. Let me show you some of them today. The very first time the word go shows up is in the book of Genesis, chapter 6. And this is the conversation that God is having with Noah, and he says this to him in, in Genesis six eighteen, He says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives, With you. So what we see here, the very first time the word ghost shows up in scripture, is God talking to Noah about his mission. As a matter of fact, you're gonna see a theme here as we look at all these verses. That so many of the most significant places in Scripture where God had a mission for someone, it involved the word. Go And so that's what God says to Noah. And then you fast forward to Genesis 11 and 12, and we see God talking to a guy named Abram. You guys know this story, right? And changed his name to Abraham. And he told him to go to a land that he'd not been to before. And he defined what that was. We don't have time to read it today. I know in a church like this, you've heard that many times. Heard great preaching on that. But it's important for us to realize that God's mission for Noah was to go. He had to be willing to go into the ark. And God's mission for Abram was that he had to be willing to go to a land he'd never been to before. So you already begin to pick up a theme. As you follow this word go through the Old Testament, what you see is every time God began to reveal his mission to people, it involved the word go. Now, it might be something as simple as going onto an ark, or it might be something as incredibly life-changing as going to another nation, but it always involved action. And I believe one of the main reasons that many of us miss God's mission for our life is that we're not willing to step up and to go. Everybody say go. Our mission is is go. As a matter of fact, you fast forward to Exodus 3 and 4, and we see here the story of Moses. And most of you know, you've seen the Prince of Egypt, so you know the story, right? How Moses ended up on the backside of the mountain. He was raised a Prince of Egypt, but he ended up doing some things he shouldn't have done. He ended up on the backside of the mountain, and he's there, and he thinks for the rest of his life he's going to be a shepherd, but he has that encounter with God, and God tells him to what? To go Back to Egypt. And so we see all throughout scripture that God's mission for his people involves the word go. In Joshua 1, we see where the children of Israel they've come out of Egypt and they've come across uh the, the desert, and now they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And Joshua, this young leader, God has a plan for his life, and God begins to speak to him about his mission. And in Joshua 1, you guys know this, it says, I have not have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, for the Lord God is with you. You wherever you go. So we, as I was studying this this summer and just looking at the word go, it blew me away. Some of the incredible times that the word go showed up in God's plan for people. As a matter of fact, I would submit this to you today. If you've been bored in your faith if you've been frustrated in your relationship with God, if you've been been wondering, what does God have for me? What is God's mission for me? I want you to know it includes the word go. It doesn't always mean you're going to cross the sea. It doesn't always mean that you're going to be a missionary. But God has a mission for every one of us. And I believe the church in America is weak. Because we're going and going and going, but we're going in all the wrong places. And we're looking at all the wrong focuses. And God has a mission for us. Uh, As a matter of fact, I I won't get into all these, but we see in Esther 4 where uh, she's speaking and she says, I will go to the king and plead for mercy with my people. We see in 1 Samuel 17 where young David shows up and Goliath has been defying the armies of God. And everybody's scared, including the king and all the great military and even his own brothers. And what did David say to the king? He said, I will go. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the very armies of God? Is there not a cause? He says, I will go down and defeat the Goliath. I want you to hear this today. If we're going to fulfill the mission that God has for us, we're going to have to have the heart of David. We're going to have to have the courage of Joshua. We're going to have to have the willingness of Abram. We're going to have to have the obedience of Noah to say, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do. As a matter of fact, I believe many of us are one go away from a move of God in our lives. Many of our marriages are one go away from God bringing healing. Many of us are one go away from seeing God move in our family in a whole new way. God has a mission for every one of us and it begins with the word go. Another place I found the word go is in Psalm 32. In verse uh, verse eight, it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. And I will guide you with my eye. You know, God promises to be our spiritual GPS. He says, I will lead you and I will guide you. But have you know, we've got to be willing to go. As a matter of fact, in Matthew, we see the, probably the most famous go verses, the Great Commission. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I think most of us love that promise that He'll be with us always. Some of you guys love that promise He'll be with us always. Raise your hand so I know you're still awake. Okay, You love the promise He will be with us always? Well, Let me ask you something. Do you love the fact that He calls us to go? In fact, that promise that he'll be with us always is packaged in a call to go. God's mission for us is go. And let me say this, Jesus is looking for more than a church he can minister to. He's looking for a church he can minister through. I think one of the reasons that many times the church is weak, the church is in decline, the church is frustrated. When I say the church, I'm not talking about a building or an organization. I'm talking about God's people. I think the reason we're not fulfilling the mission that God has for us And walking in the blessed life that he has for us is that somewhere along the way, God told us to go, and we said no. He said, God, I don't want to go there. It might have been with the tithe. It might have been when he said, bring the first fruits of your increase. He said, you know what, I'm not going to go there. God, I want you to bless me, but now you're stepping on toes. Now you're messing with my bank account. Or it might have been a conviction of a moral issue in our lives where God was speaking to us about some areas of our life that needed to get cleaned up so that we could begin to run the race that God has for us. And he knew that those sins are weights that hold us down. And so when he said go, we said no. I believe one of the reasons so many people are frustrated in their faith is because somewhere along the way, God said no, and God's people said no. The problem is that we have a culture many times in the church that more than being his prevailing church, whom Jesus said in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, we become a bless me club. We become a, a, a church of uh, what I call the buffet line. You know, you go to the, to the uh, buffet and you can have anything you want and you can choose. I'm just going to eat steak. I'm going to pass everything else up. Or for like one of my kids, you say, I'm going straight to the dessert table, to pass the salad. And you get to choose, pick and choose what you want. And many of us are that way in our faith. We say, God, I'll invite you into the living room of my life, but stay out of the bedroom. God, I'll invite you into this area of my life because I want you to bless it, but stay out of that area. And the truth is this. He wants to go there. He wants to go there because, have you know, he knows what's best. And he has a plan for our life. And if we're not willing to go there, we're not going to be able to experience the plan that he has for our lives. I believe the Bless Me Club version of church is not only unbiblical, but it's sin. When we put our faith in Jesus, we really we really sold out. And if we weren't told this on the front end, if we read our Bibles, we'll see. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Amen? So Jesus is building a church he can minister to, and he can minister through. Matter of fact, I would submit this to you today. Every day of your life, God wants to minister to you, and God wants to minister through you. So of fact, I believe this. If we would wake up to that and begin to embrace that reality that today God wants to minister to me, and today God wants to minister through me, now we get over into a lifestyle adventure that God has for us. In fact, the greatest command, you remember, they came to Jesus and they said, they said, what's the greatest command? And Jesus said this in Matthew 22. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. This is the first command. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This, If I had a key verse for today's message, this would be it. Because laced in this verse, what Jesus called the greatest command is really what I call go. It's these two things that are our mission. God's mission for you is twofold, and it's simple. It doesn't take rocket science. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to go to seminary to get this. It's so simple. Our mission is twofold. Number one, our mission is to love God. Jesus said the greatest thing that you could possibly do is love God with everything that you have. That is your mission. As a matter of fact, every day that you live, your very first mission is to pursue God is to be close to God, to get near to God. And your second is to love others. He said, they said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And so these are what I call the two majors. And this is your mission. As a matter of fact, the truth is this, if these two basic things don't define us, we're not fulfilling the mission that God has for us. No matter what we accomplish in life, no matter how many garage doors you have, no matter how big your uh, bank account is, no matter how many accomplishments we have in the world. Listen, the only two things that we can do in our whole lives that are eternal are our relationship with God and our relationships with others. Everything else is going to burn all the plaques on the wall, all the degrees, everything we can accomplish, you know, whatever level on Halo you make it to, if you win your fantasy football league, it, you know it's all going to burn, right? No matter what we accomplish, this side of eternity, the only things that are eternal are our relationship with God and how we relate to other people. And Jesus said that. He said the greatest thing we can do is love God and love others. So when I say our mission is go, that's the picture I have. God and others. Everybody say God others. Matter of fact, I love this story in Acts uh, 13. It says this, it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. We see in this little picture here, we see a, a picture of this go, God and others. It says they ministered to the Lord and then they went and did the work that God called them to. Listen, that is our mission right there. Every day, our mission is to minister to God And to minister to others. It's such a clear picture of the word go. And I don't know about you, but I never really thought about the idea that I could minister to the Lord. I thought about the Lord ministering to me. But have you ever thought about the fact that you can minister to God? I have six kids. And I I already told you a couple of them are in their 20s now. I can't believe that. A couple of them are in the middle. A couple of them are young. And the truth is they all have the potential to minister to me. My 22-year-old was home this summer, and, and uh, her and I, she's, she's a preacher, and so she helped me with one of my messages. And uh, as we were getting ready for that, we went to a coffee shop and her and I were just hanging out and we were working on the notes together and man, we had such a great time. And as we were doing that, she just began to unpack for me things that God had been speaking to her. She's uh, going to Bible college right now and working full time in a church. And as she did that, she's talking and she's sharing all these things with me. What she didn't realize is as she was sharing, the truth is she was ministering to me at a level that's really hard for me to explain because here's my daughter who loves God and loves me and loves me. And she's sharing it on a shame, just revealing it to me. And I'll never forget as we drove away from that coffee shop, I was so full. I was so grateful for the work of God in her life. And she had ministered to me. My little five-year-old girl that we adopted from Ethiopia, she's got hair all over the place. Her name is Hannah, but in Ethiopia, they say Hana. So that's what we call her in our house is Hana. And, and literally every day that I come home, I hope that she never outgrows this. Hopefully she's 30 and she does this. But as a five-year-old, every day I come home from work, whenever I come home, but I, I have to be careful because I back into my driveway. And whenever I back in, she's already bursting out the door coming to see me you know, and she just runs after me and jumps. And, and if I have stuff in my arms, I've got to drop it or she's going to take me out. She tackles my leg every time. And have you know, that blesses me. Amen. And so the reality is this, although my, my children cannot can, cannot in any way add to the bottom line, they just take away from it all the time, right? They can't add anything to my life that's material and value. They really, well, my older daughter maybe can, but most of my kids, there's not much they can teach me about anything. So they can't add anything to me, by the world's standards, but they had the potential to minister to me. They had the potential to bless me. And you know what? In the same way, we have the potential to bless God. We have the potential to minister to him. And I think one of the things that makes us weak many times in our faith is that we don't realize that. We think it's all about do's and don'ts, but you know, God, I believe his favorite title for himself is father. I believe with all my heart. As a matter of fact, that was hard for me when I came to faith. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up knowing the Lord. My dad was in jail most of my life. And when he wasn't, he was in our home. He was an abusive alcoholic. And and so the word father was never a real positive thing for me as a kid. So when I first came to faith, that was something God had to begin to heal in me was that picture of what a father is. And now as I'm a father, I have learned more about the father heart of God by realizing the emotions that are involved in being a father. And so we have the potential to minister to God, but I would submit this to you today. As much as we have a potential to minister to him or bless him, we also have the potential to break his heart. Why? Because he's vulnerable to us. Not because we can take anything away or hurt God, but because he's given us his heart. Just like I've given my kids my heart, They, he has given us his heart. And so every day, I want you to get that picture. If you don't get anything else tonight, I want you to catch this today. You have the potential to minister to God and he is Your first mission. Before any other mission, your mission is to connect with God. Jesus said it. He said the greatest command, the greatest thing that you could possibly do is love God. Everybody say love God. That means to place value on him and minister to him. Look what it says in Psalm 103. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. One of the ways we bless God is by remembering what he's done in our life and inviting him into our lives and partnering with him. In fact, the other way we can minister to God, I don't know if you ever thought about this, we can bless God when we love people. Why? Because God loves people people because God he his heart is for people and so whenever we reach out to people whenever we look for ways to live life on mission and begin to minister to people we're actually ministering to the heart of God and so what I want to do today real quickly over the next couple of hours I speak I'm just kidding and uh, what I want to do is that uh, I want to look at it one more go verse today I read a bunch earlier but I want to look at one go verse this is from the New Testament this is a story uh, where Jesus is at and if you look at it in verse uh, mark chapter 2 verse 11 just that one verse it it's a go verse because the word goes in there. It says, stand up, take up your, pick up your map and go Home. Now, I read that, and I don't know about you, but whenever I study scripture, I like to zoom out, look at the context of what's going on. And if you didn't know the context, and if you just read that little sentence, you go, what in the world is going on here? Jesus makes this statement to somebody. He says, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. For all you know, the guy's in his way. He's like, come on, we're trying to have a church meeting here. Get out of the way, pick up your mat, and go home. I mean, you can have that picture, but let me tell you, this story is so much deeper than that. I love this story. We're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 2. Verse number one says, now when Jesus returned several days later, the news that he was there spread quickly that he was home. And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room. Have you know when Jesus showed up, crowds came with him. In fact, by now, at this point, Jesus was trending. Man, if you were on Twitter, he was always at the top. I mean, he was trending. Everybody was talking about Jesus. When Jesus showed up, everybody was showing up. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And it says that even the outside the door. So he's in this house. The house is packed. And it's so packed that now people are outside the house. And they're listening in through the windows. And it says, while he's preaching God's word, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Not something you see every day. Four guys walking down the road with a paralyzed man on a mat. And it says they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And they lowered the man down on a mat right down in front of Jesus. I love this story. These guys, they were bringing this guy to Jesus. They get there, the crowd's so full, but I have you know, they weren't taking no for an answer. So they crawl up on the roof and they 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 dig a hole. Can you imagine if this was your house? Now your house isn't like their house. Their house had a little bit more of a thatch roof, a little easier to dig. Imagine it was your house. Somebody shows up with a soul, and I mean they're just digging up. We're, we're gonna get them in here. And so what happened is this. It says, it says they couldn't bring, it says this, and, and, and then it says in verse 5, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. You know what's interesting? I was just kind of sitting back thinking about this story this summer, as I was doing a series talking about this. And when I came to that statement, I thought it was really interesting. They brought this paralyzed man to Jesus. Obviously, they brought him to get healed. They heard. I mean, we can just assume. They had heard that Jesus heals people. So they bring this paralyzed man to Jesus, and they're so deliberate, they're so focused, they're so persistent, nothing is going to get in their way, even to the point they got on the roof, they ripped a hole in the roof, they dropped this guy down. They must have had really good you know, uh, 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 you know, construction tools or something. They get him down. They drop him right in front of Jesus. And what's Jesus' response? It says, seeing their faith. So Jesus saw their faith. And what was his response? Did he heal the guy? No. Look what he said. He said, child, your sins are forgiven. He didn't even ask for his sins to be forgiven. Isn't that interesting? You know what? I was thinking about it this way. You know, many times we come to Jesus with what we perceive to be our greatest need. But Jesus knows what we really need. Many times, we come to Jesus with what we want, but Jesus knows what we really need. This guy wanted to be healed, that's good, but Jesus knew what he really needed was to be forgiven of his sin. It goes on to say this in verse 6. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. You know, that would be kind of creepy to be around Jesus. He immediately knew what they are thinking. He's like your grandma. I mean, he knew exactly what you were thinking. And it says this. It says, he knew what they were thinking, and I lost my place. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. And... Um, and it says this, so he says, why do you question this in your hearts? Can you imagine being these guys? They're thi- oh, it doesn't say they said it, it just says they thought it. And they thought it, and immediately Jesus responds and says, why are you questioning this in your hearts? And then he says, is it easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, take up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man, and he says, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Everybody said go home? That's a good go verse right there. And then it says this. It says, so then the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked through the stunned onlookers. They were amazed and praised God, exclaiming that they had never seen anything like this before. How do you guys wish you had a DeLorean to go back and be in a story like that? I'd love to have a time machine. I'd love to go back. I mean, I can't imagine being there. But one of the things I love about this is Jesus says stand up We don't know if this guy had ever stood up. We don't know his story. We don't know how long, you know, he'd been paralyzed from birth. We don't know what his experiences have been, but we know this. He had never stood up and walked like that. Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat. I've always wondered, why did he tell him to pick up his mat? I don't know about you, but that mat probably was a little stinky. If he was always just sitting on it nonstop, I might want to just leave it behind. Maybe that's why Jesus said, pick it up. He said, take it with you. He said, stand up, pick up your mat. And go home. I was thinking about that statement this week and I was thinking, why would Jesus say that? I mean, standing up is enough. The miracle has happened. Why do you tell him to take his mat? Why do you tell him to to go home? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, this is a go verse. we got the word go in there. I don't know about you, but if Jesus healed me and there's church service going on and everybody's saying, I might want to stay and dance before the Lord a little bit. Get Johnny back up here. Can you play that song again? I want to do that, right? That might be what I'd want to do. But Jesus said, no, stand up, pick up your mat. What did that mat represent? That mat represented his past, didn't it? And then he said this, go home. I don't know about you. I was thinking about that. and, And you know what really hit me? Jesus healed this guy. forgave him of his sin. He healed him. And then he immediately tells him to go home. Why did he do that? Why would he tell him to go home? Can you imagine what it was like when he got home? This guy had been paralyzed and now he can walk. I want you you to hear this today. I believe with all my heart that Jesus sent him home so his family could see the miracle that had just been performed in his life. You know, it's interesting because other times in Scripture, Jesus called people to follow him, didn't they? Matter of fact, other time, one time in scripture, he told him, don't even go home and bury, let the dead bury the dead. Remember that one? He said, come and follow me. And yet this time, part of this guy's mission was to go home. Now, I love this story because I, I love these friends. Don't you love these four friends? I mean, we don't even know their name, but I love them. And I was thinking about these guys were living life on mission. They, they definitely were focused. And after reading this, I began to kind of think of some words that I would use to describe these guys. Here's some of the words I wrote down, creative, unstoppable. I didn't you even know they were unstoppable. And they were creative. They were like, we're going to get this guy to Jesus no matter what. Now, I don't know what their motivation was. I don't know if they just loved him. I don't know if they had been paid to take him there. I don't know. But I know this. Maybe they'd heard about his miracles and thought, i got to see this. I want to see a miracle. we got to go find somebody that needs a miracle. Oh, you know Joe over there paralyzed. Let's take him and see what happens. I don't know what they were thinking, but I know this. They were focused. They were on a mission to see a miracle. I also, as I was thinking, maybe that was just compassion, but I know this, they were men of action. They were deliberate and they, and, and, and they were focused on seeing Jesus touch the sky. And as I thought about that, I couldn't help but think, what would it look like if I lived my life with that kind of focus on the mission that God has for me? What would it look like for you if you lived your life on mission? And live with an expectation that Jesus is going to touch the people in your life that need him most. They knew this guy needed healing. And they did whatever it took to get him there. Let me ask you, do you know anybody that needs Jesus? Do you know anybody that desperately needs a touch from God? Might be a physical need, might be... Uh, a relationship issue, their family, maybe they aren't saved and they need the Lord. Uh, let me ask you, how deliberate are you? How committed are you? How reckless are you? I mean, these guys were willing to do whatever it took. They climbed up on a roof, cut a hole in the ceiling, and dropped this guy down in front of them. I couldn't help but think, what would it look like if we lived? Our mission is what? Two things love God and love others. What if I was as creative? What if I was as focused as these guys? Here's another story real quickly in John 1, and you know this story. I love this. It's a story of, I call it another go verse, even though the word go isn't necessarily in here. It's in John 1.35. It says, the next day John, this is John the Baptist, was there again with his two disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when two of his disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So you have John the Baptist here, and he's got some disciples following him. And, it's, and John the Baptist, his whole message has been that the Lamb of God was coming. And so all of a sudden, he sees Jesus, and he says, there's the Lamb of God. And two of John the Baptist's disciples leave John, and they go to follow Jesus. And it says, turning around, Jesus said to them, uh, he said, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said, come, replied, I'll show you where I am. And when they saw where he was staying, they spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Now, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said who had followed Jesus. And the first thing, everybody say first thing. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him. He said, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be Cephas, which means Peter, a rock. I read that story this summer and something really hit me. This guy's with John the Baptist. He sees Jesus. He goes with Jesus. The Bible says he spent the day with Jesus. And in the midst of spending the day with Jesus, he remembered Peter, his brother. And he thought, if anybody needs Jesus, it's Peter, right? And so he went and got Simon, who became Peter, and he took him to Jesus. That's another picture of our mission. God and others. He spent a day with Jesus, and because he spent time with Jesus, he went and found his brother, and he brought him to Jesus. You have this picture all throughout Scripture of our mission is go. It's God And others. And I believe we miss out so many times on the miracles that God has for us because we're unwilling to go, because we're unwilling to pursue what he has for us. Let me ask you today, what would it look like for you to go? What would it look like for you to love God and to love others? In other words, who do you know that needs him the most? I was here a few months ago and I shared my story I showed the fact that I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up knowing much about God. I didn't grow up really around any Christians. As a matter of fact, my dad was in and out of prison, out of my life, so I was raised by a single mom. And, uh, but then I, I ended up coming to faith. I met this old guy that loved the Lord. He kept witnessing to me, talking to me about the Lord. We had nothing in common, but he kept inviting me to church, inviting me to church, and finally I went. And I look back at that, and I think, you know, when I worked with this guy, he would show up to work. And I would intentionally try to be offensive. I was a punk, man. I was 17. I thought I had it all together. And I thought he was weird and thought he was a little fruit Loopy, you know, and uh, kind of a religious fanatic. But the more I was around this guy, the more I realized he had something I didn't have. You know, I look back at that and I think, man, I'm so grateful today he didn't give up on me. He used to come into work all the time and he used to say, Clint, I was praying for you this morning. And the Lord gave me this verse. And that, I remember that whole language was just so foreign to me. The Lord gave me this verse. But over the months that I worked with this guy, I remember, started out I was annoyed by him, but before long, I looked forward to him showing up. And I looked forward to him making that statement, I was praying for you. See, that was the first time in my life I'd ever known somebody that was praying for me. And so I want to just paint that picture for you today because that was almost 30 years ago for me. And I, I, I was going to share another message today. When they first invited me to come, I was going to go another direction. And I remember that I had talked about living life on mission a few months ago. And I've been praying for this church. I've been praying for this area. I used to live up here. I was a youth pastor in Kalamazoo. I just felt like the Lord, he told me to come and tell you this, that he has a mission for you. And that mission may not be reaching thousands. It may not even be reaching hundreds, but it is reaching people one at a time. And the truth is this, some of the things that have frustrated you and some of the maybe uh, boredom that you've had with your faith is this very simple mission, this failure to do two things, two simple things, love God and love people. And I just plowed through a bunch of verses on purpose because I wanted to paint this picture for you of these four guys who take this guy, we don't know what their relationship was to him, we don't know why they were there, except for one thing, they knew he needed a touch from God. And they did whatever it took to get him there. And his life was forever changed. And I just wonder if we know people like that. I wonder if you know somebody that needs him. And are you willing to do whatever it takes to get him there? As a matter of fact, I was praying this morning about tonight. And I just felt compelled. I added that verse. I wasn't going to do the Andrew portion of it. where Andrew and Peter. But I I thought, I'm just going to stick that in there at the end. Because... I think some of you in this room have relatives that you've witnessed to before, that you've shared your faith with before. And they've told you, look, keep it to yourself. I'm done with that. For what? Maybe they knew the Lord at one time. Maybe they were turned off by church. I just want to challenge you today. Maybe it's time to re-engage. In fact, I want to give you three easy steps that you can take. The first one is begin to pray for them. You can do that without any offense. There's no conflict there. No, they're not going to know. You just start praying for them personally. Second thing you do is you ask God for a strategy. Begin to say, God, what would it look like for me to re-engage? Remember what Andrew did. He spent the day with Jesus before he went to Peter. It doesn't say he just went to meet. It says he prayed. Then it said the first thing. So it says he was with Jesus for 10 hours. Then it says the first thing, after those 10 hours with Jesus, goes and finds his brother. And he brings him back. Maybe, maybe the reason that we don't reach out as much is because we don't spend as much time with a father as we could. If we spend time with him, we're going to get his heart. So the first thing you do is you pray for them. Second thing you do is you ask God for a strategy. And then third thing you do, you do it, whatever it looks like. Sometimes it's serving. Sometimes it's speaking up. Well, let me tell you what, I told you a little bit of my testimony before, the guy who led me to the Lord. One of the things that he would do is he would just brag on God. He wouldn't go, uh, you know, uh, he wouldn't try to give me an ax You need to get saved. You need to get repent of your sin. You need to get right. You know what's your problem. He didn't do that. He'd just walk in. Glory to God. He had a belt buckle big enough to eat your breakfast off of, by the way. He'd walk in, big old cowboy. He'd be like, glory to God. Praise the Lord. I had a great weekend. How was your weekend? I said, well, okay. He'd go, man, we were in church. And and then he, and you know what? We went up in the mountains and and he'd be talking to me about what God was doing in his life. And just him bragging on God was attractive to me. And maybe that's something God would have you to do. But I want to challenge fact, go, I'm going to pray in just a minute. Go, I'm going to get ready to pray right now. And what I'm asking, whether it's a relative or somebody else, every one of us know one person that needs Jesus. What's keeping us from doing whatever it takes is listen, that's our mission. Our mission. The only thing we can do that's eternal is love God and love people. We're not called to fill our bank accounts. We're called to fill heaven. We're not called to focus on what's going on here. We're called to focus on what God's doing. Matter of fact, one of the best things that you can do is that as you live your life, you wake up in the morning and say, God, what are you doing and how can I be a part? That's living life on mission. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616 534 Four nine two three.